Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 MyBetUS. You receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone online and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet. You win. You get paid. Bet U.S. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Second hour of the program today. Chuck Oliver Show. Dan Matthews, executive producer in for Chuck. All good. Our man going to be in tomorrow and Thursday. Rest of the week. All the week. He will be here with you on the Chuck Oliver Show. So we look forward to you sticking and staying around for that. Uh, going to get into some headlines here shortly, but uh, also to uh, want to uh, talk uh, some uh, Florida Gators with Nick Delatore of Gators Territory. That's going to be coming up here in about 10 minutes. And then in about 25 minutes, we're going to be talking some Texas A&M Aggies with Olin Buchanan of Texags. Closing argument, all of those, it's just me today, so there's no bringing me into the show instead of my second segment and final segment that I usually have with Chuck. Guess what? I get the whole thing today, whether some of you like it or not. And I do appreciate the nice tweets I do, and even the other ones as well. You know, our good buddy uh, Jake Crane, J-Boy Show, got a nice note from Colin Cowherd, who I'm sure you know is working for him now. And uh, he said that, uh, hey, hate mail is fan mail too. So either mail you want to send me, I don't care. Shoot it on over, and if it's good, I'll say, hey, thank you for that. And if it's bad, I'll still say, hey, thank you for that. Let's hit some headlines. Everything you need to know about college football every single day. This is CFB 365. SEC-centric here for CFB 365 today because there are a lot of huge news and notes out of the conference. First headline, Jimbo Fisher discusses talk of LSU job and plans on, quote, fulfilling this contract at Texas A&M. Of course, Jimbo recently signing a contract extension, 10 years, 90 million, the whole shebang there for the Texas A&M coach. And I like the other parts of it as well yesterday that he talked about of, you know, he said the things that usually he said in situations like this when he's been asked questions, even when he decided the first time around to stay at Florida State where he said, I am pleased with everything I have here. I am not looking to leave. In this case, at AM, he said, got a great chancellor, got a great athletic director, got just other great leadership there on campus at Texas AM in College Station, got great facilities, resources, all the different types of things. The one that I love the most that he said yesterday during his press conference was talking about the hunting and fishing. He's got ranches, all those different types of things. I said, ooh. 
That's a guy that knows what target audience he's talking to because I would say for those of you who are not as familiar with the university dynamics in the state of Texas, that let's just take it for the Alabama and Auburn example. A&M is much more of the mold of Auburn and Auburn by Alabama fans who are much more the mold of University of Texas fans. They look at Auburn, you know, they call them Barners and all those different types of things. Well, A&M, kind of the same thing. You know, it's Farmer's Fight. That's what they have there at A&M. And uh, Jimbo talking about how he's really appreciated the embracing of the A&M fan base and just the A&M community of him and his family, their foundation, all of the different types of stuff. Got roots now in the state. All the different types of things that Jimbo Fisher said. So he was pretty adamant that, and the other part of it as well, that's the that here, is that people, of course, are still throwing them out there because, uh, hey, Dan, there's no buyout. Jimbo Fisher would be leaving $90 million on the table to maybe go make, I don't know, 100, 110, whatever LSU would be willing to pay him. But I still also think, though, too, that it's a, do I want to necessarily restart this? Which I will say this, if he did... I think taking over a program like LSU as currently constructed when you don't factor in yet the decommitments and also the transfers that will happen, they are much further ahead than what A&M was when Jimbo Fisher took over it at the end of 2017 and for the 2018 season. So he's got that going for him. I still think, though, that he's got a pretty good thing going at a and I think it would take a lot to be able to get him out of that situation there. Next headline, talked about this in the second segment of the show. SEC finds Tennessee Volunteers $250,000 for fan behavior at the end of the loss in the Ole Miss game. 31-26, the final, and that one, an embarrassing scene. Like I said, I set the scene earlier. I'll set it again. Fourth and 24, Hendon Hooker completing a pass. Receiver marked just short of the first down. Replay, everything looking like it showed that they got it right. SEC fans did not see it that way. At least, I'm not going to say SEC fans. Tennessee fans, a few idiots in the crowd, decided, don't like that call. Here comes my water bottle. Here comes a bottle of mustard. Hey, Lane Kiffin, take a golf ball. All those different types of things were thrown onto the field. The SEC also setting forth requirements that Tennessee must adhere under the sportsmanship, game management, and alcohol availability policies that have been set forth by the conference. Uh, The conference is making sure that everybody knows they're not suspending alcohol sales at Neyland Stadium. But, hey, guess what? That could change if we see debris coming back on the field again. So, moral of the story, boo, do all these different types of things. Don't throw water bottles. Don't throw mustard bottles. And don't throw range golf balls at people anymore. All right? Let's have a little bit more classic games. I think there's ways to show your disapproval of things than to act like a child and start throwing things. That's what children do. Okay? You have to go to bed and you start throwing your, your toy airplane and everything and, and, and throwing a hissy fit and, and, and throwing a crap fit for adults out there. So no more crap fits, okay? We don't need those thrown. We're, we're grown-ups here. At least, let's at least act like we are. Uh, sticking with the Ole Miss theme here, final headline, Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral, questionable, not in very good shape for the LSU Tigers game, according to Lane Kiffin in what he said on Monday. And, yeah, I mean, Corral took some absolute shots in that game. I think as an Ole Miss fan and somebody who watches enough football to know that you don't want your quarterback getting hit, And if they are going to get hit, 
make it once every so often in a game because you understand they're going to get hit after a throw or something like that. But you don't want to add hits onto yourself as a quarterback. That's why it's now starting to get to the college football level now of, hey, slide, get out of bounds, avoid the hit, do whatever you need to do to avoid a charging linebacker or a running downhill safety from absolutely decapitating you on the field. And he took some serious shots on Saturday. I think I hit the post there. I think I got out just in time. Regardless, it's plenty of time and a great segue for us to go from talking about Ole Miss and everybody else that we just talked about to going over here. And let's talk some Florida Gators with Nick Delatore, Gators Territory. He's going to join us right here next on the Chuck Oliver Show. Dan Matthews in for Chuck. of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show chuck oliver show here on a tuesday i talked earlier with dave Bartu. As we say in the business, some people like it, some people don't. I don't really care either way. We are efforting Nick Delatore of Gators Territory, also of the Stadium and Gale of Florida Gators podcast, to uh, talk some Gators because, wow, things have all of a sudden not looked so hot for Dan Mullen and the team down there at Florida is, even though, you know, we believed that, this team was not going to be as good as the one that won the SEC East last year. I don't think we saw four and three and people starting to wonder about Dan Mullen down there and asking you shall receive proper segue for our guy Gators territory, part of the rivals network. Also, like I said, co-host of stadium and Gale of Florida Gators podcast. He is Nick Delatore and he joins us here on the show. Nick, how are we doing today, buddy? Uh, we're doing well. We're enjoying the bye week after, uh, after the start. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, because after the second loss of the season, I remember you posted a photo from outside an entrance into the stadium. You said, well, Dan Mullen's car is here. Everybody's here. Uh, the stadium is still standing. Everything is uh, at least uh, somewhat okay, believe it or not. But after three losses, what's it looking like down there? Uh, well, the stadium's still up. Um, it's a bye week, so I think Dan Mullen's MO. I don't know if he'll be in the office today. He might be on vacation. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was interesting because, I, I mean, in, in your intro, you know, I think everyone expected this to be kind of a rebuilding year for Florida. Um, as I'm looking at the schedule, um, before the year, I thought 10-2 and two was if everything fell right. You know, you lose to Alabama, you probably lose to Georgia, you win your other games. But it was really a 9-3 and three football team. And then I start looking and thinking, well, Dan Mullen's teams lose to somebody they're not supposed to lose to pretty often. Um, mm. Missouri and Kentucky in his first year, um, LSU in 2020, and then, you know, uh, twice this year. So yep. I thought, you know, 9-3-8-4 was a real possibility. And now you're looking and you're thinking, all right, well, Eight and four is probably realistic, and uh, you know if you slip up to a South Carolina or or a Missouri, you know you can you can fall down to seven and five. 
how much pressure necessarily needs to be on him to put him on the hot seat? Because at least from what I'm gathering right now, he's not there with what they've done the last few years. New Year's Six Bowl games, nine, ten wins, that neighborhood right there. But what could get him to that point where Florida fans start looking around and saying, "Uh, Dan, I thought we brought you here to do more than this. Oh, well, Florida fans are already looking around. <laughs> there's defensive coach hot boards. There's a head coaching hot boards on our message board. Um, so Florida fans are ready. Um, but Dan just signed a, a three-year extension. He's got he's in the first year of basically a six-year contract, uh, the $12 million buyout. And, and Scott Strickland, I think, still has faith in him. I think Dan Mullen will have to make some changes on his defensive side of the ball. Todd Grantham. Um, this is the last year of his contract. I think, you know, it, it, I think bringing Ty Grantham back uh, in 2022 would probably put Dan Mullen's seat uh, up a notch or two in terms of heat. Um, but right now, I, I don't really see, unless he has like a, a Jim McElwain-esque press conference where he, you know, makes up death threats, I don't see a scenario where Dan Mullen's not the coach in 2022. Yeah, shark photos that may or may not be him either. It wasn't the Jimmy John's guy either. That's another story there, for another if day. A, if there's a fan with pictures, <laughs> they might want to release them now if they want a new coach. But, yeah, Dan Mullen's pretty safe. Fair enough. Uh, Nick Delatore, Gators Territory, part of the Rivals Network. Also, too, you want to listen to his work. You can do it because he is the co-host of Stadium and Gale, a Florida Gators podcast. And uh, the recruiting side of it, I talked about this a little bit yesterday with Chuck, um, Nick, and that is just really kind of the perceived lack of effort that I've heard and necessarily kind of seen from Dan Mullen on this, do you think that that's something else that could be addressed with him of, look, we understand how good of a coach you think you are, how good of a developer of talent you think you are, but Dan, not having as good of players as other programs is going to lead to a head with you. Do you think that that's going to be a topic of conversation? Uh, absolutely. I think, I think it has to be. Um, I think Dan Mullen thinks he's the smartest guy uh, no matter what room he's in, and, and they have a good track record. I mean, Nick Fitzgerald, Dak Prescott, these are players that nobody wanted, and, and Dan Mullen was able to turn them into um, Heisman contenders. Um, Dak Prescott brought Mississippi State to number one in the country. Uh, I think John Hevesy's done it a ton with offensive linemen that um, other schools thought too small, too big, not fast enough, not strong enough. And I think they've seen success, you know, taking some of the guys and recruiting that other schools didn't want and, and been able to develop them. And um, more credit to them for developing. But I, you're seeing what at Nick Saban, what Dabo, what, what Kirby Smart can do with five stars. Hey, they can develop too. Um, you don't need to go for, you know, the quote-unquote project. So, I think from talking to somebody inside the building, um, they mentioned that you know a head coach like a Kirby Smart or a Nick Saban can close the deal on four or five guys um, that, that they really want in a recruiting cycle. And I don't know that Dan Mullen necessarily is putting in that kind of effort. And I think it goes back to the attitude of, well, we'll do our own rankings and, and assign our own stars in recruiting. And we trust ours more than theirs, and, and we trust our development. But when it comes down to it, at the University of Florida, you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, at Mississippi State, it's harder to get guys to Starkville. You might have to go the JUCO route, JUCO route or, or transfer portal more um, than you should at the University of Florida or Georgia or in Alabama, Clemson. Um, so I think that that mentality, something I talked about four years ago when Dan Mullen and his staff got here, 
um, through their first couple recruiting classes, I said, this is a Mississippi State mentality. You shouldn't have that at the University of Florida. Uh, and it hasn't changed, and uh, and I, and you know, going into most of the way through year four, if it hasn't changed by now, I don't see it changing. So, um, I, I probably not what Gator fans want to hear, but like Dan Mullen has shown you what he is, and mm. and, you're, and we've seen it now. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's also too. I mean, what's starting to lead to uh, some people who are pretty frustrated with uh, the way that at least this season is going and trying to take this program past uh, the other markers that uh, I had mentioned uh, in our conversation so far today. Again, Nick Delatory of Gators Territory with us right here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Dan Matthews in for Chuck. Starting quarterback against Georgia, Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson. And if there is a decision made on either one, do we just see one for that game and the rest of the way, or do we see this interchanging continue? I think they'll continue interchanging. Um, but to me, uh, you know, at the University of Florida every year, it's win the SEC East, uh, win the SEC. And if you do those two things, you're going to have a chance to probably play for a national championship um, or at least get into the playoffs. So those goals are out the window. Florida's, Florida's not going to Atlanta. Um, they could beat Georgia in two weeks. They're still not going to Atlanta. Um, you need to start preparing for next year. Um, obviously, you still want to get bowl eligible, but you need to start preparing for next year. And Anthony Richardson is your quarterback of the future. To not start him and give him as many reps as possible to get him uh, that experience for next year is doing you and yourself a disservice. Um, do I think that Dan Mullen will make that move? I don't know. Um, I honestly don't know, but that's that's what Florida. That's the reality for Florida's season now is that you're playing to get guys' experience next year uh, because of the because of the record you have now and, and and the fact that the goals you set out before this season are no longer attainable. Um, so, if that means Emory Jones transfers, then you cross that bridge when you get there. Um, but you can't afford for Anthony Richardson to to get disgruntled and leave. No, you definitely can't because I, I agree with you. I think the upside is much more with him than it is with Emory Jones. And Emory Jones still a good quarterback in his own right. Mm-hmm. I just think that, like you said, the potential, the upside, and even the on-field return, especially what we saw last weekend against LSU, that shows you all of those things. Three different ways you can get at my guy, Nick Delatore. On Twitter, at Delatory. You can also find him on the Rivals website for Florida as the Florida Gators beat writer, Gators Territory, and also through your ears on the podcast, the Stadium and Gale, a Florida Gators podcast co-host of that. Nick, appreciate the time, buddy. Let's catch up soon. Thanks, Dan. Have a good one, bud. I appreciate it. Nick Delatory, great guy, great guy. Love that guy. Always fun to have uh, Nick on to uh, talk some uh, Florida. And, yeah, I mean, look, when it comes down to quarterbacks, the the answer is crystal clear to me. It it couldn't be more crystal clear. Anthony Richardson over Emory Jones because the upside, the playmaking ability, everything, much more. College football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Tuesday here on the Chuck Oliver Show. It's Dan Matthews in for Chuck. And so far today we have talked 
All things college football with Dave Bartu. We have talked things happening at Florida. Now let's go to a team that has had a much better last couple of weeks. That is the Texas A&M Aggies, and we'll do so with our good buddy Olin Buchanan of TexAgs.com. You know Olin from his work in the movie Varsity Blues. You also know him if you follow David Nuno on Twitter and his reaction to the Seth Small field goal that went through before everyone rushed the field at Kyle Field. Olin, it's always good to catch up with you, buddy. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, thing, times have gotten a little bit better in the last two weeks for the Aggies, uh, uh, but, you know, they're, they're that kind of team that uh, you just don't want to you don't want to take anything for granted. You know, you might bet on them, but I wouldn't bet a lot. No, I hear you. Let's actually get into uh, the uh, part of this A&M team that uh, people feel have made the difference, and that's especially with uh, Zach Calzada and the coaching of him the last few weeks. That's Jimbo Fisher. I think you know where I'm going with this. Uh, he answered the question vehemently denying any interest yesterday, but is there still a feeling that – even with the huge contract, there's no buyout, that this is kind of lip service, that the question needs to continue to be asked? Or do you think he did a good enough job yesterday of quelling that and saying, hey, I'm here for the long haul? No, I actually believe him. And uh, I know that may be uh, naive. Uh, in fact, I made a point in the press conference to ask him a second time, uh, spend, you know, would you take a phone call from Scott Woodward? Uh, because just by years in this business, uh, I understand that coaches – uh, quite often, we'll, we'll we'll say just enough to leave a uh, you know a, the, the the door cracked open, you know. But um, quite frankly, I think Jimbo's uh, uh, the A and M administration has given him everything he wants, uh, and I'm not even talking about you know the nine million dollar salary for ten years guaranteed. I'm talking about you know uh, salaries for his coaches facility upgrades there's going to be more coming um and uh on top of that i I think he just really likes it here you know uh, i think it fits his personality he's a you know horse riding hunting fishing kind of guy and they got plenty of that here he he has a, a a ranch not too far from College Station. His wife likes it here. That's always important. Mm. And I think he's been really moved by the way the, uh, uh, you know, just the A&M general population has responded to his uh, his charity for uh, uh, the, the disease that his uh, son has, uh, Kids First. You know, when, uh, when A&M won, uh, uh, when they beat Alabama 41 to 38, uh, literally thousands of Aggies, donated $41.38 to his charity that week, and they made, you know, some ridiculous amount. I want to say somewhere in the neighborhood of 50000 Might have been less, might have been oh, more. Wow. But but just that uh, the way the A&M people have uh, responded to, to, you know, his cause has also uh, endeared him to this to this area. So I, I just think he likes it, and I think he is planning to be here uh, to fulfill, you know, for the duration of his contract. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's something to be said about comfort and feeling good where you're at because in these jobs in the SEC, there's not a lot of that. So I guess uh, don't, uh, don't, don't bite off more than you can chew. Uh, in terms of uh, the on-field, though, Olin, uh, what's to be said about his development the last few weeks of Zach Calzada? I started off the show today by saying I think it's been remarkable. Uh, yeah, Zach has uh, he's made giant, giant strides since the Arkansas game. You know, I don't think he, I don't think anybody could have played a better game against uh, Alabama. You know, he had the one interception, but that was more on a miscommunication between him and the receiver. Uh, you know, he just 
started off, I think it was 14, 13 or 14 at halftime. They got them to lead. And then, you know, when Alabama came back, like you knew they probably would and took the lead, you know, he was able to take them right down uh, for a tying touchdown. Uh, and then when they got the ball back, you know, even though he had been hurting in the, in the medical tent, he limped out there and even ran for a first down and got him down for the game winning field goal. So uh, that was uh, uh, just, uh, it, it was like a night and day performance from what we had seen. And then last week he wasn't as sharp, but the A&M team as a whole wasn't as sharp. And that's somewhat predictable to have a win like that and then go on the road. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he got the win at Missouri. He could lean more on his running game and he threw some nice passes in that game, some clutch passes that, but, uh, he also, his, uh, his numbers would have been, uh, really good, probably about 17 of 24 or something like that for about 200 yards, maybe three touchdowns had he just been able to complete the little swing pass out into the flat. It looks like mm-hmm. maybe he's throwing a little bit too hard, uh, but that they had to, uh, I'd say three or four of those set up for him, and he just uh, seemed to throw it too hard. So maybe that's the next thing is just developing a little more touch on the short passes. But um, if if they can, uh, if if he can play at a level somewhere between Missouri and Alabama. Uh, then they'll have a good chance to finish off the season, you know, successfully. Find him on Twitter at Olin Buchanan, football writer, basketball writer. It's going to leave out that last part there, Olin, because you know what? That's just not true on your Twitter account of texags.com. <laughs> you know, we, we love you around here. We, we, we love you around here, uh, Olin. That's uh, for sure. Uh, let's uh, move on, though, to uh, guys who I think have kind of taken some pressure off him. Uh, and you don't have to look too far than the guys that line up behind him in uh, Devin Achain and uh, Isaiah Spiller. How much pressure are they taking off of uh, Zach Calzada? Well, you know, I think you uh, when you play A and M, that's the first thing you got to do is is figure out what you're gonna, uh, you know, how you're gonna try to stop the running game. Isaiah Spiller, I think, is having his best year of his career, uh, and and that's despite playing behind a, you know, a, a patchwork offensive line, a new patchwork offensive line. But he's really running hard. Uh, if he's not finding uh, room to run, he's making contributions in the passing game, and a chain. Uh, you know, he's a threat as a runner, a receiver, um, and a return guy. You know, last week he had a about a 27-yard catch that would have been, a, I think, about a 45-yard touchdown had the ball been uh, uh, thrown a little more accurately. He made a good play to catch it and then lost his balance. But, uh, you know, he has, he has world-class speed. He was, you know, invited to the Olympic trials last year. And, uh, you know, Alabama fans saw that on the kickoff return for a touchdown. And, you know, those guys, they, they typically run uh, Spiller two series and then bring in a chain four series and then Spiller back for a couple of series. So uh, it's working for them. And as the offensive line improves and it's starting to make some it's starting to make some noticeable uh, improvement, then, you know, I think those guys will be even more um, productive and bigger threats for big plays. Well, I know that Aggie fans knew a lot about uh, Anaya Smith, uh, but they also probably knew a lot about him as a guy out of the backfield, but someone that's really factoring in the receiving game this year. I mean, just talk about his development of both sides of his game. 
Well, yeah, you know, I mean, he's that guy that Fisher says can play any position uh, other than the offensive line because he's only because he's only about I don't know about five, maybe five ten, maybe one hundred ninety pounds. But you know, they needed him a couple of years ago at running back. A bunch of guys just for the bowl game uh, decided to leave and transfer, and they had no backup for Isaiah Spiller, so they put him in for. Uh, uh, as a backup in that game against Oklahoma State, the Texas Bowl, and he played really well. So then they came back saying, okay, here's a guy that we want. Uh, and he had played receiver that year. So, uh, hey, they came back the next year and started him against Vanderbilt in the season opener. But Isaiah Spiller started playing, running really well. And it just became obvious that, you know, you were better with both of those guys on the field. So since then, um, uh, Anaya Smith has played – 90% of the time as a receiver. Every now and then they'll move him into the backfield and hand it off to him. But uh, And he's really uh, – I mean, he's always been good. But right now, uh, working with Calzada, they're starting to, I guess, get a rapport. He's caught four touchdown passes in the last two games. Um, and he's just uh, – he's their number one receiving threat now. A couple more for Olin Buchanan. Again, texags.com is where you can find his work on Twitter, at Olin Buchanan. And uh, DeMarvin Leal, uh, somebody that I know a lot of people had their eyes on on this defense this year. What have we seen from him so far? And, uh, I mean, a little banged up at the beginning of the year, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it was anything too serious. He's been uh, he's been in the lineup from from – each game. Now the question is, where is he going to line up? Because you know he 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 has defensive end quickness, he has defensive tackle size. So depending on the matchups, I've seen him line up at left tackle. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, left end. I've seen him right end, predominantly right end. But then uh, very often he's uh, he's a, uh, uh, moves inside, and sometimes in the same series he'll play a uh, maybe at right end. Uh, and one on one game, on one play, shift to the left side. The next play, and then if they got him in an obvious third down situation, they'll move him inside. So they can bring Michael Clemens and Tyree Johnson both in and in to just kind of boost that pass rush. And you know he's having a heck of a year. I don't have my numbers in front of me, but I think he's got about five sacks, a lot of quarterback pressures. He just always seems to be in the mix. I, I just don't see how uh, he didn't make all. SEC last year, he didn't get on any teams. And, uh, I think I think this year, the way he's playing, will be impossible to keep him off. Final one for you. That's Mike Elko, um, is somebody that has gotten a lot of buzz over the last few years at Texas A&M. A strong finish to this season for some of these openings that we're seeing around college football. You think this could be finally the one that gets Mike Elko out of College Station? It could be. Uh, I think he's a guy that has a. That's going to be a. Uh, I guess he has head coach in his future. Uh, I don't think it's been a situation where he's just you know bound determined to leave. He's turned down some opportunities, but that weren't that attractive. I think Temple and Kansas may have contacted him, um, uh, but he you know, he makes over two million dollars a year here, and he's he's got one. I think he has one that's a senior in high school and one that's maybe a sophomore or a freshman. So, uh, you know, the, you know th that plays into it. But uh, I think certainly uh, with what he's done as a defensive coordinator here and throughout his career, that uh, there are going to be programs that are going to contact him and gauge his interest. And if it's the right program, you know, uh, I would not be surprised if he did leave and if that's the case you know uh it'll be a 
it'll be a significant loss, but, you know, they'll just look for the – see who's the next best guy they can get in here. But he certainly has done a heck of a job. And uh, uh, if he wants to be a head coach, uh, and I imagine he does, he certainly uh, deserves the opportunity. Owen Buchanan, TexAgs.com is where you can find his work. Follow him on Twitter as well, at Olin Buchanan. Olin, we always appreciate the time. And let's uh, catch up again here very soon. Anytime you want to, just give me a yell. You know it. Olin Buchanan again, TexAgs.com. And, yeah, I mean, Mike Elko and that defense, I mean, that's that's been a group that uh, has had some injuries this year, has had some, you know, less than stellar play at times. And as we've seen, a couple of losses. I mean, the Mississippi State game, that is one. And everybody has that game during the season that you look back at, especially if it's a loss, then you look back on it even harsher in these scenarios. And that is, gosh, you know, Wish we could go back and play that one now, but you can't. It still counts the same in the in the loss column, and they're five and two. That's what they are right now. Because I'm sure even after that Alabama game, if they're six and one at this moment right now, then Aggie fans feeling pretty good. Kyle Fields feeling pretty good. All of those things about Texas A&M are feeling pretty good. And look, like I said too, the progression of this program is way better than it was in years past. And I know that people are going to say, oh, A&M, you know, they continue to lose those games and and nothing has changed there. But no, I think it's also too as well. It's the players that you're getting there that you weren't getting in the past. It's the games that you're playing in now, New Year's Six Bowl games, at least one year you've done that. And if they're able to win out this year, that's going to be two. I think even two if they have one more loss this season at nine and three. And with that win over Alabama, I think they could probably sneak their way into a Peach Bowl or to a Sugar Bowl or something like that, especially if two SEC teams get in. But just everything that's happened this year for A&M, it's definitely been an up-and-down season. And you definitely love the ups. You don't love the downs. All right, coming up next, successful what's do these three things. Successful what's. That's coming up right here as we wrap up the Tuesday show of the Chuck Oliver Show Executive producer, Dan Matthews, in for Chuck, right here, Southern Sports Today. Now back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. What are you feeling right now? Relief. I don't know if I'm more excited that we found a way to win or I didn't get hit with the golf balls they were throwing at me. I should have yelled two. A judge smells. Wayne Kiffin is not. Well done by David right there. David Holloway behind the class. Engineer. Always the man. That part gets me every time. I should have gone with the clip where he says, oh, my arm, it's broken. Because he did get hit in the arm, but we're glad that, yeah, somebody didn't have to yell four and then have to yell two. In that case, for uh, Lane Kiffin and everybody else, but uh, no, we've uh, we've uh, covered that. We've covered A and M. We've covered Florida. We covered all of college football. If we got a little Caddyshack in here, let's just call that a great thing. So let's continue a good thing, and let's close this out with a closing argument. The King's closing arguments, presented by the best closing attorneys in the business, Alexander Shannara and Associates. Yep, and successful what? have all three things a successful programs and we've seen it all the way through because i think in order to get into this conversation you have to differentiate between the program and the team 
teams can have success. Teams can do okay. Teams can be able to be great on their own. But you really want to be this on the right hand, and that's the program. Because programs can have bad seasons. Programs can have a couple of bad seasons. But overall, once you get somebody that can run the thing the right way, then it becomes a strong program. Strong leadership. That's from everything. You heard Jimbo Fisher, if you listened to his long quote that he had yesterday about the LSU job, where he said, I've got a great chancellor, I've got a great president, I've got a great athletic director, I've got great, 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 all of this. And he's somebody, too, who seemingly has been able to lead the LSU program with pretty strong leadership. And I understand that people will ask about things that happen at Florida State, but for the most part, I don't think that you can ever look at Jimbo and say, oh, man, that guy runs a loose program. I mean, if nothing else... Things are not necessarily that important as they should be in terms of the morals that you need to have in order to run the program the way that it needs to be run. And in this case that we've seen at Alabama, does anybody doubt the leadership at Alabama with Nick Saban? Definitely not. With Greg Byrne, same deal. Because we've seen other programs at Alabama start to rise and start to compete and start to have success. So I think that that's the mark of good leadership there. And I don't know much in terms of the academic administration there at Alabama, but we've seen enrollment go up. We've seen the the, the economic impact of the area go up with everything that has just been a finely tuned machine there at Alabama. Georgia is the same deal. I could go on and on. Strong leadership matters. Strong program culture matters as well. Because like I said, we've seen teams in the past, and we've seen them either have success or we've seen them fail, and it eventually leads to the ousting of said leader, the head coach. In this case, though, you've got to have strong expectations for what said program is. And I'm not saying that LSU didn't have that. The one team, one heartbeat. Yeah, we get all that. We uh, All these different types of things. I think that a culture was set in place, but I also think that that culture started to stray a little bit. And at least from some of the stories we've seen, the Brody Miller story in The Athletic, other things that you've heard, if you're listening on ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge, I know that Matt Moscona on Monday laid some of those out for you in terms of what were some of the missteps that led Coach O to be in the situation he's in right now. And the final one here is the one that people seem to look at first in some cases, and that's facilities. You got to have the facilities, man. You got to realize that you're dealing with 17, 18, 19-year-old young guys that, yes, they want the facilities. They want to be able to go into a place that has PS5 and Xbox. Is it only PS5 or PS4? I don't know. Anyway, I haven't played video games in years since NCAA football went away. But the point is, is you need to have things that attract people to your program. Have those. How nice are your dorms? How nice is your academic support building? How nice is your dining hall? All these different types of things. Those things absolutely matter. And when you look at the best programs around the country, they have all three things. That's my closing argument with uh, Chuck Yow. We got about a minute here left on the show. And I think if nothing else, you know, what I want to talk about is just, um, you know, how everything has ended for Ed Ogeron there at LSU. And the number one thing that always kind of cracks me up with all this is the immediate convenient response that people have. Well, he's two years removed from a national title. Okay, he's two years removed from a national title. But I also would have a different response to that, the opposite response. 
And that is, yeah, he's two years removed from a national title. It shouldn't look like this, two years removed from a national title. Now, I get it. There are other programs who have seen their program decline from having greatness in the past. And I was listening, by the way, uh, speaking of uh, 104.5 in Baton Rouge on the way in, uh, I was listening earlier to uh, T-Bob and uh, Jacob Hester. And they were talking about, I guess, how it's mostly rival fan bases telling them that, oh, you guys are closer to Nebraska. You're closer to Florida State and all these other programs than you are to us. I get it. There is a gap between you and the program, but as LSU has shown you, and I've said it numerous times in the past, it's never about the talent. You can get talent to LSU. You can get talent on the field. You can get talent to play and be successful on a moment's notice. Nobody saw 2019 coming, and anybody that said that they saw 15-0 and and a national title coming I think was probably selling themselves short. If anything, you looked at that season as, well, still don't know about the offense, and that quarterback – yeah, he's good, but, you know, LSU doesn't necessarily do quarterback play that great. And the other players on the field, yeah, they're good, but they haven't necessarily shown that they're great just yet. 10-2, 15-0 is what they were. So there's a reason why programs in the SEC always look at LSU and say, hmm, man, you don't want to wake that sleeping giant up. And they haven't been a sleeping giant because to those people who said that to T-Bob and Jacob, programs that you just mentioned haven't won national titles three times in the last 20 years. So I would say that the foundation is still pretty good there at LSU. The last couple of years have not been that great, but prisoner of the moment much. Yeah, I think that's you. Want to thank David behind the glass. Want to thank everybody that made this show happen today. Dave Bartu, Nick Delatore, Olin Buchanan, you, the listener. Thank you so much right here. The Chuck Oliver show.